Good morning. Don't you love singing songs about grace? Really? That underwhelming, huh? Amen. I don't know about you, but I, 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 not only do I enjoy singing them, but I enjoy the experience of living in the awesome, wonderful, fantastic, almost beyond description grace of God. Amen? Turn to somebody next to you and say, wake up. Man, how can you not be excited about the grace of God? Amen? A few weeks ago, right after uh, Jonathan asked me if I would preach for chapel this morning, the Lord led me to 1 Peter chapter 4, and I became captivated by verse 10, which will be our text today. If you have your Bibles or want to use one from uh, here in the chapel, turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to look at all of those verses, all 10 verses, but we're going to concentrate on the text today being stewards of God's grace. In the NIV, it says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. But I like the way the New American Standard says it. As each one has received a special gift, employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. I got captivated by that phrase, the manifold grace of God. And I hope to be able to explain that to you today and share that with you today and that you will see the, uh, capture kind of the same enthusiasm, what it means to really understand the grace of God. Pray with me for a second. Lord Jesus, grace is one of those words that we kind of sling around in church a lot. We think we know what it means. We sing about it. We wouldn't be saved without it. We couldn't be sanctified if it wasn't for your awesome grace. We wouldn't make it, Lord, if it wasn't for your grace. But sometimes I wonder, Lord, do we take it for granted? Do we fully understand how awesome your grace really is? Help us to see that in the scripture this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Our son hit junior high age. Mark's now 45. Man, his mother's getting old. I tell you, I don't understand anything like it. But he hit that junior high stage, you know, where the way that communicates kind of like a caveman. You just get a grunt, you know, you ask a question. Or maybe, you know, if you ask a closed-ended question, you're going to get a yes, no, that's it, you know. If you want anything out of him, you just got to pull it out. It's just like all of a sudden conversation ceases. Okay? Anybody been there? If you raised kids, you know, they go through that phase. Well, I, I missed the talks. We used to talk about things, you know, but suddenly he just kind of wants to get in his little shell and not talk. So uh, I got sent to a seminar. Dr. Bill Birch was my DS, and he used to have these best guest speakers come in and share things with us to help us be better pastors and better leaders. And so we did a seminar on asking the right questions of the right people at the right time to get the right information. It was very helpful. So uh, I got home that day before Mark got home from school. I think he was at football practice or something. And I'm thinking, man, I'm loaded for bear. He's going to talk to me today. So I just can't wait. I keep watching the front door. I want to check out these new questions that I've learned, you know. He comes walking through the door, caveman, carrying his football stuff. Hey, Mark. You did. Well, okay. Uh, hey, listen, son. What's the most fantastic thing that happened to you today at school? He stopped dead in his tracks. He looked me right in the eye. And if I'm lying, I'm dying. Here's where his exact words. Ready? What, Dr. Birch send you to some dumb seminar or something? With all the love of a father, I looked at him and said, go to your room, smart aleck. I didn't want to talk to you anyway. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, those of us who work here at NBC, we find ourselves answering people's questions all day long. It's a big part of our job, isn't it? Dealing with people, answering their questions. 
But after I came to NBC, I got really shocked by a question of a friend of mine who called me on the phone. And here was his question. Why did you leave the ministry? <laughs> Excuse me? Why did you leave the ministry? I said, well, that's interesting. I didn't know that I did. Well, you're not pastoring now. You're at NBC. Those who teach can't and those who can do, you know, pastor the church. I got righteously indignant. Actually, it kind of confused me. But it did make me think. And I thought to myself, I didn't leave the ministry. God just changed my vocational uh, responsibilities. I'm still in the ministry. I'm still ministering to people. But it stopped and it really made me think about it. What am I really doing here? And in the day in and the day out of the jobs that we do, and so much of it is repetitive and kind of over and over, you know, and you keep hearing the same questions, you keep giving the same answers, and, and all that you go through like that, it would be real easy for us to forget. We're still in ministry. And what we really do here is that we function as stewards of the manifold grace of God. And I want you to see that, because it's not just something we do here at NBC. But this is really something we do as disciples of Jesus Christ as a way of life. It is, our, it, is, it is our main responsibility as we go through life and pass through life and interact with people to be a steward of his manifold grace. Uh, here's another one. You know, when I moved into our new community, I try to keep it a secret that I'm a preacher. Because once they find out you're a preacher, you're not a normal human being, supposedly. So everybody knows I'm not a normal human being, but, you know, I try to keep that secret as long as I can. But anyway, I, you know, you're just visiting and meeting your neighbors and stuff. But eventually somebody says, so where do you work? Well, I, I work at Nazarene Bible College. And then they get this funny look on their face. So the first thing I'm wondering is, okay, was it the word Nazarene that threw you? Maybe that was it, you know. Or maybe it's this one. People actually go to college to learn about the Bible? Or maybe in that question was something like, well, I wonder what you do there. So let me ask you a question. What are you doing here? Can I say to you this morning, whether you're working in facilities or you're on the faculty, all of the pieces of everything we do together here is a combined effort to be stewards of the manifold grace of God. As a matter of fact, when I read that phrase in verse 10, it kind of brings up some questions for me. The first one is this. What is this manifold grace of God? The next one is, what does it mean to be a steward of this awesome manifold grace? And then, maybe the most important thing, am I willing to dedicate myself to this wonderful and meaningful task to be a steward of the manifold grace of God? Well, God's Word has something to say about this for us, and it's found in 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter is concerned about Christians because they're going through a tough time. They're going through a lot of suffering. They're experiencing things that they did not anticipate. They're going through a challenging time, and he wants to make sure that they have the right attitude. Because when you're going through a tough time, whether you're an individual or an organization, and let's face it, we've gone through some tough times the last few years, there is a temptation to fall into the victim mentality or the survival mentality so that all of your decisions and all of your actions and everything kind of get caught up in being a survivor, just trying to make it, or, oh, this, I don't deserve this, or, oh, woe is me. And that is not the attitude that the Bible asks us to take towards suffering. 
So Peter, in, in the fourth chapter, turns to Jesus as an example and wants to say to you and to me today, regardless of what you're going through, here is the attitude that you should have when you're facing suffering. Verses 1 and 2, look at it with me. Therefore, since Christ Jesus suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Could it possibly be the will of God to allow us to go through this tough time? Answer, yes. Why? Because Jesus went through tough times to show us how the grace of God is sufficient for every need. Amen? We sang about that this morning. Amen? What did we say? His grace is sufficient. We sang it. Do you believe it? Do you believe it as an individual? Do you believe it for your family? Do you believe it for your church? Do you believe it for NBC? You see, there's something about suffering that so strengthens us and brings us to a place of decision where we say, you know what, I am done with those old worldly attitudes. I am done with sin. I am committed to doing the will of God, and I don't care what it costs or what I have to go through. And the point is, Jesus suffered so that you and I could have his righteousness and his power and his love and his strength and his attitude so that I begin to understand that what grace really means is gained righteousness at Christ's expense. Peter would also write in his letter, do you not know that we have been bought with a great price, not silver and gold, but with the very blood of Jesus. Jesus paid the price for us on the cross that we might be born again, made new creations and live different lives. And those who come to us at NBC, whether by letter, by phone, or in person, on campus or online, they share with us that same awesome grace. Amen? That's what binds us together. We are made righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ, not by our works or anything that we have done or earned. Amen? Because the next thing we learn about grace is this. Grace received, grace is received and can't be earned. Aren't you glad? You and I don't have to work harder for God to love us. God is not going to let us into heaven based on our enrollment count. Amen? Aren't you glad? Oh, you're not glad? Okay. Well done, thou faithful servant. Are we faithful? Are we living in the power of his grace? Are we being agents of his grace? Are we remembering that we received grace, not because we worked for it, not because we earned it, not because we deserve it, but simply because God loved us so much that he gave his only son to pay the price for this amazing grace that we sang about this morning. And so I say to you, that means that since God so graciously gives his grace to us as a gift, then we, if we're walking in the footsteps of Jesus, should have that same attitude that Jesus has and give ourselves graciously for the sake of others. Regardless of the mundane questions, regardless of the fact that they're late and it's their fault, regardless of the fact that they read and did, didn't read the directions and didn't pay attention, and all the junk that frustrates us in dealing with students, be gracious. Amen? Why? Because when you and I realize 
when you and I realize how awesome the grace of God is, then grace becomes defined this way. The gift realized adequately covers everything. Think about that. The grace of God, when we realize how awesome it really is, it adequately covers everything. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Grace, grace, God's grace. God's grace that will pardon half the gospel, <laughs> the other half, and cleanse within. Amen? We still believe that, don't we? Amen? We still believe that God cleanses the heart? So we're justified. The price has been paid in full. And therefore, as the redeemed, we're loved and loving, cared for and caring, served and serving. And in so doing, we are administering God's grace. So that in our dealings with those who come to NBC or call us on the phone or show up at our office or send us an email, it begs this question. Are we coming across as gracious, redemptive, and loving servants of the Lord? Because when we do and we communicate this, here is what people should encounter. They should encounter God's reassurance, God's acceptance, God's compassion, and God's enablement. Bring us up to that next slide, will you? Because I want you to see this definition of grace. This, this is one of the ways, whoops, go back one. I, I moved you too fast, I think. Go back one. This is one of the ways that I think that grace becomes defined in how we treat people. In how we treat people. Uh, go, go back. We're, we're still not together here. One more. There we are. Nope. Uh, forward. <laughs> we'll find it. One more. Hmm. Did I miss? There we are. Whoop, go back. Nope, nope. There it is. Okay, now we're together. All right, look at that just for a moment with me, okay? Reassurance. Some of the folks that call us haven't done anything academic in 20, 25, 30 years. All the terms we use, all the things we say are like a foreign language to them. And they need to be reassured that we know who they are, where they are, and what they need. And we need to communicate that in a way. Because let me tell you something. When you decide to answer to a call of God on your life, the devil gets upset. He doesn't mind it as long as you're just kind of coasting along, me and my four and no more, and we just want to get to heaven. But when you take seriously the call of God on your life, you begin to understand what spiritual warfare is really all about. And friends, when people come to us, they need reassurance. And how we treat them makes a difference and whether they experience the reassurance of, of God's grace. They need acceptance. We've kind of changed our policy around here. Matter of fact, it's easy, maybe too easy, to get into NBC. But when they come, as weird as they look, right? I know, come on. Sometimes we go, are you kidding me? I just can't see that guy or that gal as pastor of the church where my parents go. <laughs> you know, they're still a work in progress just like us. They need acceptance. Amen. Do you guys want to get out of here or you want to stay here all day? Because if you don't amen, you ain't getting out of here, okay? <laughs> but they need that, don't they? God accepted them. They need compassion. 
Compassion. I love that word in the scripture. It, 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 the very Greek word itself signifies the idea of a gut-wrenching, kind of a gut-level sort of thing that motivates us. I don't know about you, but I, I really care about those guys and gals that are in my class. I really care about those guys and gals that are in my program. And I get an email just yesterday. Dr. Russum, my assignment's going to be late this week. I've got to go in for another cancer treatment. And I write back and go, don't worry about your assignments. We'll work on that. Let God bring healing to your body and your spirit. Compassion. And they need enablement. Don't you just love it when you get a chance to talk to a student and says, I just can't do this anymore. This is just too much. I can't handle it. And you let them get that off their chest and you talk to them about it. But we are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us and who loves us. Amen. Amen. Are we enabling people that we come across? Why is this so important? What's the big deal? Because when you and I understand the awesome, glorious, manifold ways in which grace has been granted and received, we cannot help but realize how important it is to be a good steward of the manifold grace of God. Now, I like the word in NASB. NIV calls it various forms. But the word translated manifold is really a very complex word. It brings up the idea of something being either very multicolored multifaceted or multidimensioned or in other words there's more to it than what you just see and I tell you the longer I serve the Lord the longer I realize there's so much more to his grace than I fully understand <laughs> uh, brother Gary and I were talking a little bit earlier we both feel like I wish when I was younger I preached on grace more when you're younger, you're full of vinegar, you know, and you want to preach on, you know, let's get with it and get rid of that sin, uh, you know, get a hold of you, uh, 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 you know, all that kind of stuff. I've always wondered why people like that when black preachers do that, you know. <laughs> if that helps you, I'll hug you to understand the grace of God. But it is so manifold, it is so multifaceted, it is so multidimensioned, I think we're going to spend the rest of eternity figuring out how awesome it is, this amazing grace of God. And then the other amazing thing, that he would allow us to be stewards of this. Now the word steward here is a very interesting word, because in Jesus' day, it was like the, the height of servanthood. The steward was the person who knew the master better than anybody else. Often he, he actually lived in the house with the family. And his main responsibility was to care for the financial dealings of the estate and the household. That's why when you read the parable of the stewards, the one who goes and buries the talent of money that was given to him is kicked out, not a salvation issue, but he's kicked out and loses his leadership position because his main reason was to invest the things of the master and get a return. And if you and I are stewards of the manifold grace of God, that means that you and I should be gracing other people and God should be getting a return by our love, our example, our reassurance, our acceptance, our compassion, and our enablement of other people. And what's so exciting about working at NBC is 
That's what God's called us to do. And that's what we do every day. What does it say in verse 10? Use whatever gift he has, uh, has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms or the manifold grace of God. So that begs this question. How does my life, my service, my work here at NBC demonstrate the manifold grace of God or administer God's grace in its various forms? Well, look at verses 3 through 5. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you know, not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Because in these verses, we see that God graciously revolutionizes our lives. We are never again the same. Look at that. Another way of understanding the grace of God is that it is a growing revolution and a carnal execution. Brother, bring up that next slide for me, please. Nope. We're having trouble over here today. Back up. There we go. Nope. There's one in between. I know it's there. There it is. Okay. We do not live like we used to live. Because God graciously forgives us of our trespasses when we trust him as Savior. And when we trust him as Lord of all, the Holy Spirit cleanses us from inbred sin, from the carnal nature, and sets us free by filling us with his love and empowering us in the Spirit to live the kind of lives that the non-believer, as well as other believers, can see and say, man, that guy's life has been revolutionized. But I think the revolution never stops. Because we will forever be tempted to crawl back on the throne. Doesn't mean you're not sanctified because you're tempted to do that. But when you're tempted to do that, isn't it great to know that God's Holy Spirit continues to strengthen and cleanse and empower so that that revolution of grace can continue to bring about a carnal execution where Jesus is on the throne and we live to do one thing, his good and perfect will. We still believe that, don't we? Really? Sure. In the church of the Nazarene, we call that entire sanctification. In other churches, they call it the deeper life. In others, they call it the spirit-filled walk. I don't care what you call it, brother. I just hope you've experienced it. Amen? Are you experiencing a growing revolution and a carnal execution? Look at verses 6 through 8. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. And above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, he could have left verse 9 out of there, don't you think? Come on now. Have you ever noticed that grumbling is not listed in the spiritual gifts? Anybody? You see, the sanctified believer lives with a sense of urgency about living out the life of Christ and demonstrating his love and grace. It causes us to carefully think about how we relate to other people, how we serve them, and how we minister to them. So grace becomes for us giving redemption and Christian charity to everyone. Think about that for a moment. Grace lived out 
is giving redemption and Christian charity to everyone. A friend of mine, Sherman Andres, composed a song that he and I used to sing together when we shared concerts. I want you just to listen to the lyrics. So many questions I must ask myself today. I wonder if Jesus thinks I've done my best today. Will I wake up in the morning and find regrets upon my mind? Will I leave a trace of Jesus somewhere? So many questions I must ask myself today. What will I leave behind when life has passed my way? Will people remember my name or forget me just the same? Will I leave a trace of Jesus somewhere? Have I been a light in dark places, brought a smile to sad faces? Have I shown the world that Jesus really cares? Have I lived my life the way Jesus wants me to each and every day? When somebody stumbled, was I there to care? So many questions I must ask myself today. Will I leave a trace of Jesus somewhere? That's what it means for you and me to be stewards of the manifold grace of God. We leave a trace of Jesus everywhere we live, love, work, play, worship, and relate to other people. So that begs this question, so what? So what do I do with that? What does that really mean? What, what, is, what does Peter want me to, to think through about being a steward of the manifold grace of God? Well, let me ask you a few questions this morning that, that this passage made me ask of myself. Is there a growing revolution and carnal execution taking place? in your heart and life? Does my life reveal itself in holy, loving service to others? Do you see your job at NBC as a way to be a steward of God's grace or just a job to earn a check and just can't hardly wait till Friday comes? I don't want to live like that. I want to see my job as being a steward of God's grace. Do you leave a trace of Jesus with each person you deal with, whether in person or on the phone or in your emails or in the classroom? Do you realize that regardless of whether you're working in facilities or faculty, your job is to be a steward of God's grace. It all works together to make it possible to do what we're doing. So I ask you this morning as we get ready to close, would you be willing to pray with me today and ask God to so fill you with his Holy Spirit, with his love and his grace, that you would spell grace this way by your life. God reigns and Christ is exalted by the way we live, the way we love, the way we work, the way we play, the way we raise our families, the way we relate to other people. Is it obvious that God reigns and Christ is exalted? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are amazed at your grace. How gracious you have been to each of us. Thank you for saving us from our sins. Thank you for your sanctifying Holy Spirit that enables us to love and to live like Jesus. Thank you for a place in your kingdom. And today we humbly ask together that you never let us forget that we are stewards 
of your manifold grace. Help us to leave a trace of Jesus everywhere we go. And Lord, if there is anything in our attitude or our actions that hinder our ability to be stewards of your grace, please forgive us, cleanse us, change us, and use us to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Say this with me. Read it. I am a steward of God's manifold grace. Say it again. I am a steward of God's manifold grace. So, what do you do at NBC? I'm an advisor. No, you're not. What are you? You're a steward of God's manifold grace. Well, I'm a faculty member. Yeah, okay, but you're a steward of God's manifold grace. Well, I'm an administrator. Okay. Well, I work in the facilities department. Well, I work in finance. I, I, well, okay, fine. But what you really are is a steward of God's manifold grace. Say it with me one more time. I am a steward of God's manifold grace. Stand with me, please. May the grace and peace and love of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you and may you leave a trace of Jesus somewhere today. And everybody said, Amen. You are dismissed.